welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game, and occasionally an Intellivision game, and see if that story bites is bad. My name is Bill, this is episode 309. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. This is it. Intellivision Month 2022 is wrapping up. We've got a good one this episode, and the debut of some special technology. That's right, Elon Musk himself is here to present us with an electric vehicle. Just kidding. I had the locks changed. He can't get in. We are playing uh, on the episode this, uh, on, on the, uh, oh, that's my train of thought. My electric train of thought. We're playing on the episode this, uh, this time, a game called Space Spartans, which utilizes the Intellivision voice synthesizer. You will get to enjoy said synthesizer momentarily. But first, we have to do all that other crap that we do before we get to the game. I've done 309 of these episodes, and I still don't have a real good feel. I have a pretty good idea, but I don't have a real good feel for how many of you are here for the game and how many of you are here for the short stories. If you've been listening for a while, you know that the short, short stories have, at best, a tangential relationship with the game. I suspect most of you are here for the game, but I'm guessing there's a few of you here for the story. Maybe I'll do a Twitter poll about this. Um, I'm making a mental note right now, which is a dangerous proposition for me. But uh, I'm one of those guys who has little scraps of paper all over the place. I can't really even use note-taking apps on my phone because I never really think to look at them. So I just have, uh, I end up reduced to writing things on scraps of paper and just leaving them in my general area, which is also dangerous because phone apps and computers and All of that have made what was already terrible handwriting uh, even worse. So I end up with pieces of paper, not only with notes on them, but frequently notes I can't read. Uh, All of that is to say that I don't know what I was talking about. What the hell was I talking about? I was talking about how we're going to get to the game. I think what I was talking about was how we're going to get to the game pretty soon. And for those of you who are here for the story, we got one of those too. So you know what? Let's uh, Let's not put this off any longer. This week's game is... Mattel Electronics presents Space Spartans. Space Spartans. From Mattel, of course, 1982. A while ago, I don't even know how long ago, but a while ago I bought somewhere, I must have gotten a good deal, the Intellivision Voice Synthesizer. Me talk good. Synthesizer. I think the deal was I was had a game in mind that I was going to do for Intellivision Month, and then for whatever reason I didn't do it. So I've never actually used the synthesizer on the show before. So I was excited when I decided to play this game and discovered, not realizing this beforehand, oh, hey, this one uses the synthesizer too. Sweet. So excited to, uh, to be doing that uh, here momentarily. The internet tells me that the IntelliVoice voice synthesis module, commonly abbreviated as IntelliVoice, uh, uses a voice... Vo- God can't talk today, uses a voice synthesizer to generate audible speech. In the field report, Henry got a quick shot of it, but basically it's this big brown plastic cartridge, effectively, that plugs into the cartridge slot on the Intellivision, and then you plug the game cartridge into that. It was released in 1982, discontinued in 1983 due to poor sales. Only five titles released with support for the device. Evidently, there's a 2 kilobyte uh, ROM chip in the thing, 
uh, database of generic words that could be combined to make phrases in, telev in, in television games. This is a thing evidently was developed for something else and then utilized for the televoice. The words included numbers, press, enter, and, or, Mattel Electronics presents in a generic male voice. Uh, the first game that they actually used this in apparently was Space Spartans, recorded and digitized by Carlson and Jost, a general instruments facility in New York. Uh, that being Ron Carlson and Patrick Jost, uh, engineers for General Electric. The IntelliVoice was intended to have additional internal ROMs with a built-in generic library translated into French, German, and Italian, which was going to be sold alongside the appropriately translated versions of the IntelliVoice titles in those markets. At least two prototypes were built, and translated versions of Space Spartans were programmed, but neither they nor the International Televoice was ever released. A restyled version of the Intellivoice module designed to match the white brick style of the redesigned Intellivision 2 master component appeared at the 1983 Intellivision catalog, in the catalog, but the model was never actually produced, not even as a prototype. The device was brought to the public in 82 with an initial lineup of three games, Space Spartans, Bomb Squad, and B-17 Bomber. The module got critical acclaim, but didn't sell very well. Initial orders were as high as 300,000 units for the module and associated games, most of them just sat on the shelf. Even a promotional giveaway of a free IntelliVoice by mail with the purchase of an IntelliVision Master Component failed to kickstart sales. The fourth IntelliVoice game release, Tron Solar Sailor, sold 90,000 units. The digitized voice required a lot of ROM, uh, as much or even more than the game itself, ROMs were expensive to produce at the time, so the games would end up costing more. Standard non-voice titles typically debuted at $39.95, then dropped to around $20 or $25 as new titles were released. In contrast, the IntelliVoice titles retailed for as much as $45 apiece and did not drop in price as quickly. The IntelliVoice itself was a costly add-on, debuting at $100. Just to let you know, I did not pay $100 for mine. Uh, rarely, rarely selling for less than $80. Though the IntelliVoice package was bundled with the game, B-17 Bomber, this was still a high initial investment. Because of the limits of the ROM, words had to be digitized at the lowest possible sampling rate, which they could still be understood, and it wasn't unusual for the sampling rate to be changed three or four times within the same word, which gave the voice a distinctly mechanical, unnatural sound. No third-party games supported the IntelliVoice, so all in all, the thing did not sell very well. In 83, all personnel related to IntelliVoice game and hardware development were laid off, development on further and all further IntelliVoice games was halted except for Space Shuttle and World Series Major League Baseball. Space Shuttle, a NASA space mission simulator, continued development for a time but was eventually canceled. World Series Major League Baseball was completed, but didn't actually require the use of the IntelliVoice in order to play. The game was merely voice enhanced. So there you go. Say what you want about it. I think it's pretty cool. Spoiler, it's actually the thing I find the most fun about Space Spartan. But we'll get to that in a minute. So the Space Spartans Manual for Intellivision, Intelligent Television, tells us that this is a game for color TV viewing only. Probably because, uh, as with pretty much all Intellivision space games that I can see, the space field itself is uh, a multicolored affair. Stars are all different colors. Uh, we get a little bit of a history lesson. In 480 BC, a small Spartan force held off Xerxes and the entire Persian army in the famous Battle of Thermopylae. The Spartans chose to die defending the pass into Greece to give their allies time to prepare for attack. Space Spartans reenacts that battle in space. Of course. Why not? 
In a heroic adventure that pits you against overwhelming alien odds, you are the elite force. Stop the first alien onslaught and a new alien force appears. Hold the aliens back as long as you can and give your home galaxy time to prepare for attack. I kind of feel like this game might have been more interesting if it was just a recreation of the Battle of Thermopylae. Right? Why does it have to be in space? Why couldn't they just have you back in ancient Greece? So the manual uh, explains that uh, the game is designed for use with both your master component and IntelliVoice. It gives you a little diagram to show how the parts go together. It's really not that complicated. Uh, yeah, I don't want to brag here, but I figured it out without looking at the manual. Oh, wow. The object of the game is to score as many points as possible. Duh by shooting down alien ships before your ship is destroyed, or you run out of energy. Repair damaged ship systems and re-energize at your three star bases, destroy all aliens on the sector grid, and a new round starts more with more aliens. You have one ship against a continuous onslaught of alien attackers. Okay, now we're starting to get into the parts of this game that I think bog it down and, and some people really get into, but just kind of bug me. This is one of those games where you have to toggle back and forth between the battlefield and the... the map or grid or whatever they're calling it in this game to show you where different things are it's really kind of pointless it just slows everything down i don't like it the other issue with this game is and it's not the game's fault i don't have the overlays i have the cartridge i don't have the overlays for the game and unfortunately this is one of those games where it would be nice to have because every single button on the keypad all 12 of them do something so it was a little bit of a memory issue trying to figure out what button to push to do what Again, that's not the game's fault. That's my fault. So the disc, uh, that's pretty simple. That moves your cursor or ship. The buttons on the side are your fire buttons. And the numbered buttons all do different things. Number one is your battle computer. Uh, you know, just assume I'm going in numerical order here. Battle computer, impulse drive, shields, tracking computer, hyperdrive, all systems. The all systems button, uh, number six, press before repair on off key to repair all damaged systems one at a time. Press before status key for report on all ship systems that are off, damaged, or under repair. The on off button turns the ship on and off. The status button repair on and off, energy level, number of aliens, and change view. I think that I don't have the keypad in front of me right now, but I think the change view button is the uh, enter button, and the, uh, the status button I think is zero. And all of these, every time you push it, uh, your voice synthesizer makes your the computer talk to you. And that's the part that's kind of cool. To give you updates like uh, space uh, space station under attack. Shields at one-third. Hyperdrive on or off. Things like that. To move the cursor ship up, press the top edge of the disc. To move right, press the right edge of the disc and so on. Before pressing any key, release the disc. Fire buttons and any other keys. There are four different game voices. Each gives vital game information for which you do not receive in any other form. The central computer is a dude. It tells you the ship's energy level and gives you an automatic warning if the level drops below a thousand units and it tells you the number of aliens remaining in sector occupied by your ship. The ship's computer is a female voice. It tells you the condition of the ship's systems. Shields, impulse drive, hyperdrive, battle computer, tracking computer. It gives you an automatic report of damages. Systems a third, two-thirds, or down or destroyed. It tells you the progress of the repairs. The Starbase computer is a robot voice, uh, automatic alert when your Starbases are attacked, and the alien commander is heard only at the end of the game, announcing that the battle is over. It's like a little FU when you've lost the game. That's me, not the manual. Press any key. When you start the game, it gives you an option to select how fast you want the game to go. You can start at number one, slowest speed, up to number five, which is the fastest. Uh, they go on to tell you, though, that whatever level you start with, 
as the game goes on, it gets faster anyway. The sector grid appears after the game speed is selected. There's no game action until you place your three star bases, which, again, seems pointless to me. You put the star bases wherever you want, but the aliens go wherever they want to, so I, I don't quite get this part. Also, your three star bases aren't numbered, but the computer refers to them by number. So you have to try and figure out, uh, okay, which one are they talking about? There's only three. It's not that hard to figure out, but still. On your star base map, if the alien, those little alien squares, the offensive fleets, what color they are tells you how many ships there are. Green is 1 to 4 alien ships, yellow is 5 to 8, red is 17 to 32, purple is 33 or more, and orange is 9 to 16. The maximum alien ships at the game start is 16 per fleet, or 96 total. As I said, you start the game by placing your star bases. Basically, you move your disc, use the disc to move your star base with your cursor to wherever you want it to go on the map. I assume there's some sort of strategy here, but I don't really know what it is because the aliens move wherever they want to. So, you place your star bases, you move your ship to an alien-occupied sector, press the hyperdrive, and then the on-off button, which is also annoying because you don't just push the button for the function you want, you have to then push another button to turn it on or off, which bugs me. Um, your ship symbol moves to that sector, and you hear a little swooping sound, and you know that you've you've hyperdrived to wherever that is that you're going. In battle view, you see space through the cockpit of your ship. The crosshairs always remain in the center of the screen as you maneuver your ship through space. Maneuvering is a frustrating affair. It's hard to maneuver your ship, even with all these buttons. Press the disc to move the ship so the crosshairs are centered on the alien ship. Hold down the disc to accelerate. Place the, uh, press the opposite side of the disc to decelerate. Tracking computer on. Ship automatically pursues any alien that comes into contact with the crosshairs of weapon sight. Press the fire buttons to fire, obviously. Hold down button to fire continuously. The battle computer on. Ship fires automatically when the crosshairs touch an alien ship. Computer directs fire to center of crosshairs. Uh, you have to avoid the enemy fire, of course. If your ship is hit, the ship's computer automatically reports damage, the uh, system hit, and the extent of the damage. Uh, there's a button that you can press to get a damage report. You can press another button to repair all the systems. If you have multiple system failures, or you can do repairs on an individual system. The Starbase computer gives you verbal alerts when an alien fleet moves into a sector occupied by your Starbase. You can press the Change View key to go back to the map. You move your cursor to the threatened Starbase. Press the hyperdrive again. You go to that sector. There's an energy level key to tell you how much energy you're using. When all aliens on the sector grid are destroyed, a new alien force appears with two offensive fleets per alien starbase. Third round. Three offensive fleets per alien starbase. Keep playing as many rounds as possible until all ship systems are destroyed or you run out of energy. When in battle view, you see space through the cockpit of your ship. Impulse drive must be on to move your ship with the disc. If impulse drive is damaged, you will be unable to control your ship effectively. It may be that I had some trouble with this game because my impulse drive got destroyed or damaged a lot. It is hard to zero in on an alien ship when moving at high speed, so make small light movements. Alien ships can outrun your ship, so you need to intercept them. Don't try to chase them. Alien fire is also faster than you. Evade it if you can't outrun it, because you can't outrun it. You can hyperdrive while in battle view, provided the cursor is in a different sector than your ship. The battle computer fires laser torpedoes, automatically and operates a guidance system that directs your laser torpedoes to the center of the crosshairs. If the battle computer is damaged, your, arm, your aim will be off. The amount your aim is off depends on the amount of damage sustained. To move a ship to a different sector, you have to use the hyperdrive. Your cursor must be in a different sector than the ship, and you can be in battle view or sector grid. After the battle, press change view to return to sector grid 
Use the disk to move the cursor to a new sector. Press the hyperdrive, then on and off. Wait until the ship symbol appears in a new sector. Press the change view again if you have moved to an alien occupied sector. Strategy. After you have completed your hyperdrive to a new sector, move the cursor only, not your ship, to one of your star bases before you go into battle. You can then hyperdrive to that star base while in battle view if necessary. That's a good idea. That's, I don't know if I said it, but going to the star base with your own ship replenishes your energy. Alien star bases build new ships. Every six seconds, the fastest game speed, to 14 seconds, the slowest game speed, each starbase may build a new ship. The chances of a starbase building a new ship increase with each round played. Anytime an offensive alien fleet is destroyed, a new fleet will be dispatched by its home starbase. And that is how you play Space Spartans from Mattel, 1982. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast. All about life lessons, growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K, podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. Space Spartans was programmed by Brian Doherty initially, and then completed by William C. Fisher and Steve Roney. It's heavily based on Star Raiders, which was released in 79 for the Atari 8-bit family. NTVFunhouse.com is so bold as to call Space Spartans a decent game. The voices are actually quite good, says this review with the sexy female computer voice somewhat reminiscent of the original Star Trek TV series. And the sinister voice you hear at the end of the game, the battle is over. Is it just me or does that guy sound a bit like Yul Brenner? Dunno. The reviewer thinks that, uh, you know, is very similar to any other Star Raiders clone, maybe a little bit easier to control the systems. Mattel made the voices essential to gameplay, so don't bother trying to play without the IntelliVoice unit. The star map is nicely done, but the combat screen is really not much more than a scrolling space battle screen. They tried to have a 3D look to the aliens, with them appearing small and growing larger, charging toward you, for example. The effects fall, fall, fall flat, mainly because you don't have a star field effect. The sound's adequate, the voice is well done, worth a good rousing play once in a while, but it's definitely middle-of-the-pack game in terms of long-term replay value. According to Blue Sky Rangers, the voice of the computer, not Yul Brenner, uh, actually, evidently, Carrie Tambazian. Sound was done by Bill Fisher and Bill Goodrich. Design, program, graphics, Bill Fisher. They got a plethora of bills in this game. I like it. And Steve Roney, Mike Minkoff, Brian Doherty, this game is possibly, according to this listing, the most sophisticated space game of them all. Doherty apparently got off the project when he left Mattel to go work at, and here's where Sean helps me out with this pronunciation. Imagic. Thanks, Sean. The Rangers also point out a bug in the game. The level counter is not checked properly. It allows you to reach one higher level than it's supposed to. On that level, you can reposition the alien bases as if they were your own. Hmm. Okay. All right, well, you know what's bug-free? The rest of this episode. After the break, 
My voice is totally 100% not a bit of synthesized vocal fakery while I take a nap. Honest. As you can see, there's a black screen. I'm going to start the TV in a minute, or maybe I'll just talk. Maybe this will be the field report with all report and no field. What do you think, Henry? Henry doesn't agree. We're getting ready to play Space Spartans from Mattel, let's say 1982. When I turn the TV on, there's going to be a bunch of really uh, obnoxious static. So just be prepared for that. We're also going to enjoy today the debut on the podcast of the IntelliVoice voice synthesizer. Henry, I know things are kind of a mess. You guys can thank my wife for that. She is a teacher. She has brought home all of her stuff from school and piled it in the game playing area. So, uh, there's that. It's the glamorous part of producing a podcast. Henry, I don't know with all this stuff here. Can you get a shot of this thing down here that I'm pointing at? It is the IntelliVoice voice synthesizer. I probably just repeated that. Henry paused the video and it threw off my roll. You slowed my roll, dude. Uh, anyway, I bought this thing a while ago. I don't remember when because there was a game I thought I was going to use it for and then I didn't, but I still had it. And Space Spartans utilizes it. So I plugged the thing in. I got the cartridge here. I got my little uh, volume control there. My high-tech setup here. I'm setting a microphone on the synthesizer so you can hear it. And uh, hopefully you can actually hear what's going on. So uh, I'm going to turn the game on now, Henry, and we can go back to uh, videoing the screen, like we always do. That was another clever edit there, as Henry moved back into position to film the game. So let's do it. Prepare for obnoxious static, and then prepare to be amazed by the high-tech, eerie, artificial intelligence, yeah, let's say that, that you're going to hear emanating from my speakers. Here we go. This is some Terminator stuff about to happen. Mattel Electronics presents Space Spartans. Whoa! Was that cool, Henry? No. Pretend it was cool. Say it was cool. Say it. Sure. Awesome. All right, so we're going to play Space Spartans. Uh, 1981, I guess, from Mattel. So here we go. One is the slowest level. Five is the highest. What level should I play at, Henry? Five. Good man. Alright, so there's our map. I do not have the overlays for this game, which is unfortunate because this is one of the games that utilizes every single button on the keypad, of which there are nine, plus the clear and enter and zero buttons, so twelve actually. So I have to kind of go off of memory what button does what. But basically the first thing is we have to plant our star bases. I'm moving one, I'm going to put one, I don't know, I'm going to put it right there. I'm going to put number two right there. There's probably a better strategy to this, but this is what I'm doing for, for right now. In the faint background, you're probably hearing my dog squeaking his toy. So, apologies for that. He loves a good squeaky toy. Hello, Commander. Computer reporting. Why, hello, Computer. It is nice to talk to you, too. Alright, so these colored squares are the alien fleets or whatever. This is my ship. Those things I planted were the star bases. These are the enemy fighters, I guess. And, gee, where should I go? That guy's about to do something. I'm going to go there. So I 
move my cursor over there, I think I hit what is probably the... Yep, I was correct. So I hit number five. Enter. Oh. If you could hear that, that was the sound of me going to hyperspace. Zero aliens. Yeah, I know. There we go. Oh. Alright, now I'm there. I'm going to turn on my tracking computer. Now on. Now in theory, it'll center me on, oops, on the uh, aliens. So I can shoot them. Tracking computer off. Oh no, no. Tracking computer on. Star Base 1, and you'll be able to tell I've only played it a little bit. The tracking computer leaves a lot to be desired. The star field is your basic in television space scene, right? You got all the color, colored stars. The ships look very television to me. I'm going to tell it to repair. Uh oh, that's not good. That's not cool either. Shields. The shields are on right now, that green border around the edges of the shields. Um, the hyperdrive, the impulse drive. Okay. 
updates that you hear when it tells me how many aliens there are, that's me pressing a button. There are some other buttons. There's a repair button. Seven aliens. Not good. I've watched enough Star Trek to know that. Ooh. Wow. But hey, I got 2,060 points. You proud of your old man? I want to see. I want to see if it says goodbye or anything. Well, that was just a big f you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, voice synthesizer. I'm kind of hurt. Back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Car by Car podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's x-e-g-s, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Second Duck on the Right and Other Very Short Stories is my new short story collection. Duck con artists, zombies, things on fire, supervillain angst, and a future without poop are just a few of the topics in these stories. Also the occasional really bad poem. Waddle on over to your favorite bookseller or swim downstream to my website, carnivalofgleecreations.com, for more information. Insert quacking up joke here. So here's the thing about Space Spartans for the Intellivision. I've already kind of said it. I think the Intellivoice thing is kind of a kick. It's kind of fun to use and play around with. I kind of like to play some other games with it. But the game itself is too bogged down with that map thing and the constant button pushing and whatnot. For me, it wouldn't be so bad if it was all space battle and you had shields and hyperdrive and all that. But when you have to constantly go back and forth between this map thing and the battle and because the map isn't really doing anything for you. I, I, I don't know. It could just be a constant wave of, you know, new waves of aliens. You don't need the three different star bases and all of that. I, I, I don't know. It, it just, that part doesn't do it for me. Although I get why 
you know, if you're 10, you're 1982, sitting there on a Saturday morning after cartoons are over, uh, with nothing to do but immerse yourself in space Spartans, uh, I could see getting into that. But when I'm, I was about to say how old I was, let's just say much older than 10, um, with other things to do, uh, I just kind of want to do the game and, and blow stuff up and be done. So, love the synthesized voice, don't love the map, I guess is the takeaway here. If you guys have thoughts about space Spartans, synthesized voices, anything really, you know how to get a hold of me. And if you don't, stay until the end of the show and I will tell you. That is my promise to you. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled, What's the Point? The newest franchise of Ares, Spear, and Supply sat at the base of Mount Olympus. The chain of warrior supply centers was the prime purveyor of implements of destruction to the warring factions of ancient Greece, both immortal and less so. Zeus and Hera had been reluctant to put up the money for the first store. Ares' sister, Athena herself, the darling of the family, intervened on her brother's behalf and convinced their parents to support Ares. There's a reason goddess Athena was associated with wisdom. The chain had really taken off. Ares' spear and supply was now the exclusive supplier of implements for the Spartan army, and business was booming, metaphorically. Even rudimentary bombs wouldn't be invented until the 11th century. If you were an ancient Greek, or as they called themselves, just Greek, and wanted to kill somebody in defense of the city-state or simply because it was Tuesday or whatever, Ares' spear and supply was the place for you. Orion, newly conscripted into the Spartan army, needed some implements. A spear, specifically. This was the place to get it. He stepped lightly into the store, bronze helmet glinting in the candlelight, and surveyed the wares cautiously. As if ushered in by the god's own hands, though really it was just a junior god on an internship, the shopkeeper emerged as if from nowhere. Ah, newly forged Spartan warrior, the shopkeeper intoned. We have spikes you'll like to get our pikes through fire you'd hike. Survey our spears, he gestured grandly around. They're all so near. He stopped short, noticing the character of this particular warrior. Moving up in the world, aren't we, Helot? Orion, mindful of his social status, but nonetheless aware of his newfound power, said, Just doing my duty to the city-state, like anyone. A boy of four or so, with fire-red hair, skipped up to the shopkeeper's counter, looking furiously at an ice cream cone. This was odd. While ice cream wasn't totally unfamiliar in these times, it was basically just snow flavored with honey. The ice cream cone wouldn't be in invented until the 1800s. The kid thrust his ice cream cone at Orion, who took a step back. No thanks, he said. Then to the shopkeeper, Orion said, I need a Sarasas and a Zephos. The shopkeeper nodded. Ah, the spear and the short sword. Common accoutrements for a most uncommon soldier. The shopkeeper scampered away to find the items. Why? The boy asked through a mouthful of chilled honey. Why what? Why do you need a spear? I'm a soldier, Orion said. Why? The boy said. Well, Orion started to say, but abruptly came to a stop. In Sparta, all the men were soldiers. The women, well, did women things, and that was boring. It's just the way it was. Orion wanted more, sure, 
adventure, travel, learn about life outside Sparta, but he had a job to do. Are spears heavy? The boy asked. I guess, Orion said. Why do you want to carry one? It's my job. Orion was happy to have hit upon an explanation. Why? The boy asked, catching a drop of melting snow as it dripped off the cone. It's my job, Orion repeated. He had thought that explanation would work better. Your job is to carry pointy things? No, the spears aren't just for carrying, Orion explained. We use them. The boy looked up at Orion expectantly. We also march, Orion concluded. The boy considered this. Where? He asked. Well, Orion said, to Persia. Why? Orion hadn't thought about it before, but he could only think of one reason to go to Persia. To defend Sparta. The boy took a big lick of the cone, then said, So, you defend the city by going to another city and making a war. Well, kind of, I guess, Orion said, leaning over the counter. What was taking the shopkeeper so long? You ever kill anybody? The boy asked. Not yet. Do you want to? The boy asked. Well, the boy beamed and held the cone out to Orion again. Orion just shook his head. The shopkeeper marched back to the counter, a glinting spear in each hand. Mighty weapons for the helot warrior, he said. Look, the boy said, two spears, one, two. Right, Orion said. You can kill people twice as fast now, right? No, Orion said a bit louder than he intended. I mean, I guess. The boy bit deep into the scoop of ice cream on his cone. Did that stuff just magically replenish itself? The spears don't kill people, Orion said. I beg to differ, the shopkeeper said. Ares, spear and supply, supplied the weapons that decimated no less than the army of Thebes itself. Orion smiled awkwardly at the boy. The boy, for his part, seemed more interested in the ice cream. I just meant, Orion said, it's the soldiers, not the spears that... <laughs> Never mind. Isn't it hard to march with those things? The boy asked. We practice, Orion said. Do you practice killing? The boy asked. Oh, that reminds me the shopkeeper said, and retrieved a gleaming short sword from under the counter. For those close-up combat moments. The boy admired the sword. It was elegant. He picked it up and waved it in front of himself for a few moments before returning to his never-ending ice cream. It's heavy, the boy said. Not for the likes of the Spartan warrior, eh, Helot? The shopkeeper beamed. I mean, it's the job, Orion said. The shopkeeper placed a pike and a long sword on the counter next to the short sword and the spear. No soldier would be caught dead without these, he said. Orion regarded his two hands and the many weapons before him. He really only came in here for a spear. I really just need the one, he said almost apologetically. Yeah, he needs that other hand to punch stuff, the boy said, swinging out with the wrong fist. The scoop of ice cream tumbled off the cone and splattered to the floor. The boy burst into tears. Oh, hey, Orion said. Hey, man, it's okay. He patted the boy on the shoulder. You're really nice, the boy said. The shopkeeper chuckled at that. Don't let your commander hear that. Orion stood up straighter, scowling. He scooped up all of the implements of war before him and said, Send me the bill, as he marched out of the store. The boy produced two replenished ice cream cones and handed one to the shopkeeper. The two high-fived and enjoyed their snack. In the distance, the rumble of Zeus's thunderbolt rang out. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable 
William Pepper, and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the vertical blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. Apple Podcasts is lonely and jonesing for a five star re- for five stars in a review of the show. Go help them out. Go synthesize a review. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And, of course, check us out on Instagram. You can also call and leave a voicemail. I'm never, ever going to answer the phone. You can even use a synthesized voice if you want. Doesn't matter, because I'm not going to answer it. Um, but you can share whatever you'd like to share with the show. 563-265-1978. About anything you want, and I'm waiting to hear from you. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com. For information and links and whatnot about this podcast, Atari Bytes, about my other podcast, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, about books that I've written, places you can get those, other stuff I've done. There might be salmon recipes over there, for all I know. If you click on it, uh, the pages, the different pages enough, maybe a synthesized voice will read them to you. Okay, that's probably not going to happen. But how cool would that be? Please also consider, while you're uh, wandering, while you're surfing the net, as the kids say, um, consider going over to patreon.com and looking up the Atari Bytes page over there. That's where you can support the show and help keep the lights on here in the podcast studio. Many thanks in advance for doing that. You can get potentially bonus content, episodes early, all sorts of things, including being able to say that you're in the same company as these fine folks who have my thanks. Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Jeremy L., Mark Super, and Jim Goble. Thanks to all of them. All right, we're just about out of here. All that's left is to tell you what's happening next time on the show. Uh, unfortunately, in television month is over. Uh, so I'm putting away my synthesizer. Uh, you're only going to get my regular voice on the next show. Uh, you're only going to get my voice on the next show. And it is, I don't think, robotic. I don't know. You can tell me. But we're back to Atari. Back to the 2600, no less. I feel like it's been a while since we did a 2600 game. So it's about time we did that. I chose one that's been in the news, actually, relatively recently. We're going to play Wabbit, as in Waskily Wabbit. It's not an Elmer Fred Fudd game, but it's spelled the same way. W-A-B-B-I-T. Some of you probably know, uh, it was in the news recently uh, about the uh, creator of the game. Uh, and that's actually what brought the game to my attention. I had not really heard of this game before. But I'm intrigued, so I want to check it out. So we're going to play Wabbit next time on the show. And I will have a short story that probably ends up having not much to do with that at all. Because that's how this show works. 309 episodes, I think I'm finally figuring out how this show works. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.
Thank you.